0: Let's just open our Bibles tonight. Um, Those of you that are regular Wednesday nighters, I like regular Wednesday nighters, but those of you that have been coming a few Wednesdays for the past year, know that we went through the book of Acts for about a year and a half, maybe a year and a quarter, and uh, finally got through it, and it was wonderful. It was sad to to get to the last chapter, to be honest. Um, And after a brief intermission, we're going to dive right into another book and we're going to dig into 1 Peter and just see all that God has for us, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin right with the first introduction. We're not going to leave anything out. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it starts out with a bang. It starts out rich. Some letters that I write, some letters that you might write, or if you someday write a book, it's kind of take a little while to gain their steam, they... they takes a little bit to get up to the point. 1 Peter 1 just jumps right into it. This is a letter that dives right into some rich stuff. So in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, just to give you some background, of course, uh, most most of us would agree that this is written by Peter. I know that there are theories out there about uh, different authors and different writers, but for tonight, we're just going to say Peter... um, even, even if somebody else wrote it, the, physically wrote it down for him, I believe this was Peter speaking. And as he speaks to the church, he, he specifically addresses this to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And uh, we know by his writing and by church history that at the time he's writing this, he's actually in Rome, which he refers to as Babylon. So you guys know, if you know some history, you know Babylon... At the time that Peter wrote this, Babylon as a physical city did not exist anymore. It had been wiped out a long time ago. Babylon, the actual city of Babylon is where Iraq is right now. Uh, that, That had been wiped out, but there was... The idea of Babylon, which pops up not only in Peter's writing, but it pops up in the book of Revelation. It pops up throughout prophecy. And the idea is that it's not just a city. It was a, almost a spirit. It's almost, it's, it's an environment. And so as he's writing from what he calls Babylon, he's referring to Rome. Rome is the center of the empire. Rome is where it's at. But Rome, as you know, with any center of any empire that's not the kingdom of God has got major flaws. And so as he's writing from Babylon. He's most likely writing during the era of Nero. Now, whether he's writing before, during, uh, certainly not after, but whether he's writing before or during the persecution, you can decide. But he's at least he's not writing in a a golden age. He's not writing in a utopia. And you see as he begins to write to these churches, uh, they're going through some stuff. This is not the brand new Uh, just preached gospel in some of these cities. It's been there for a bit, and it's been there long enough to have some major opposition. So as he begins to write to these people, he's not writing to churches that have uh, just a nice, peaceful way of life. He's writing to churches that are under deep persecution. And I want you to know that whether or not you are in a time of persecution or whether you're in a time of opportunity, whether you're in a time of good or a time of bad, it's going to require the same things from you. requires the same faith, it requires the same determination, it requires the same reliance on God. So here he speaks to them and he says in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be strengthened with his blood. Sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So he starts right off. Now, we know that's a standard greeting. and We know that he's saying some nice things to greet them. But I believe there's some some rich truth in this. Number one, this is not an accident. God knew. God saw you before the beginning of time. And he saw that you'd come to him. And he says, you're chosen of God. You've been sprinkled with his blood. This is a wonderful thing. But he's also saying, you, re, you may live in all these cities, but you're residing as aliens. That's a topic we'll dive in as we go later, further into this book. But the idea goes throughout this whole letter that we don't belong here. And maybe that's uncomfortable for some, but I, I bet to these people it was somewhat comforting to know that there was something beyond what they were going through right then. He says, you reside as aliens. You you live in these cities. He's He's not saying that they're immigrants. He's saying these are people that may have been born and raised in that city, but this is not your true home anymore. Your citizenship is in heaven. And so there's something about you that is so weird and so different because you belong to the kingdom of God that he straight up calls them aliens. And now I know to Peter, you know, sometimes we say aliens now. We think of outer space. We think of some weird sci-fi movie. But to Peter, he's saying you're foreigners, you're strangers. You don't fit your culture. No matter where we live, I don't care what country we're from, we don't fit into the culture. That's, a, that's okay. In fact, that's better than okay. That's good. You should never really be too, too comfortable in the culture you're in. Thank God we've been sent as missionaries to this culture. Even if you were born and raised in Lloydminster, Alberta, or Saskatchewan, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ with a heavenly passport that's been called to this place. You're a missionary. You're an ambassador. This is is where you've been placed, and you should treat it like that. Sometimes we get so attached to the idea of being Canadian. Thank God for Canada. But before you're a Canadian, before any of that, before your allegiance to your country— is your allegiance to your true home. You are part of the kingdom of God. It's the unshakable kingdom. He says, all these other kingdoms will, will go away. All of them will pass away, but this kingdom remains. So he goes and he, he calls them aliens. He says, you, you're aliens who are residing in this cities. And I think that's the way we should think of ourselves as foreigners that live in Lloyd Minster. Now, some of you say, I am a foreigner living in Lloyd Minster. I've only lived here for a couple years. But even those of us that have lived here for most of our lives, we are foreigners because our our whole worldview has changed because of Jesus. So he goes on and he says this, and this is really where the letter begins. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now hang on for a minute. Let me just explain, if if you haven't caught on already, why this might be good news to them. He's writing to people that are not being accepted. He's writing to people that are being treated wrongly. He's writing to people that are unfairly having things taken from them. And in the process, he's telling them what the world can never take from them. He's telling them about something that they have that can't be stripped, that that can't be stolen, that can't be yanked out of their grasp. He says, there is something that God is protecting for you. There is a salvation for you that the world can't touch. He says, you're being protected for it. Now, he's not talking simply about physical protection. He's talking about something much greater you remember when Jesus said to his disciples, and I think if I were getting ready to leave the planet, I might give them a bit bigger of a pep talk, but uh, then just, it's going to be rough boys. But he, he didn't want to send them out of into the world blind. He did tell them it was going to be rough, but he told them, take good cheer. I've overcome the world. But when he tells them what they're going to go through, he says, you know, in the world you'll have persecution. He, he tells them that, you know, people will betray you. People will turn you in. People will drag you before the courts. And he says this, and it's always shocking to me the way he says it. But he said, some of them will kill you. Well, thanks, Jesus. This is exactly what I signed up for. He says, some of them will kill you, but they won't be able to harm a hair on your head. That's always a little puzzling statement, isn't it? What do you mean they'll kill me, but they can't harm a hair on my head? I mean, are they going to kill me, just not mess up my hair? Well, that's... That's cold comfort. We can have an open casket. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> don't worry. It'll be a clean chop. It's, it's fine. What he's saying is, even if they harm your body, even if this, this, this body stops working, they can't touch what matters. And Peter is encouraging the church saying, you have something they don't even know about there's something rich on the inside of you. And that's a theme that's going to pop up over and over again. I can't wait. I hate to skip ahead, but spoiler alert. I can't wait till we get to the part where he talks about how the prophets were searching and they were looking at, they were prophesying these things and they were just trying to figure out who are we talking about? And Peter says, it's been revealed that they were talking about you, that, that these prophecies were for our time. So this is greatly encouraging. And he tells you, he tells them, and I imagine this is something that would really speak to them, that you're being protected. There's something, there's that salvation that, that sometimes seems fleeting. Sometimes we say, I, you never know. I, I just never know. Some days I feel like I'm going to heaven, and, and other days I don't feel like I am. But he says here, you're being protected for salvation to come. You're his now. There is, there is a salvation that can't be defiled. And this is a theme that pops up over and over in this letter. That there is an imperishable seed sown in you. That when you are born again, that is something dramatic that happens. Sometimes we feel insecure about all these things. He says, this is something you can be secure in. There's a salvation that they can't touch. There's a rescue that they can't take away. There is something in you that is undefiled. And he goes on and he says, this salvation is ready to be revealed at the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. What's he talking about? What does he mean, if necessary? What he's saying is these guys were put in a position where they had to make a choice. Are we going to preach the gospel? Are we going to hold fast to the faith and put up with this opposition, put up with this persecution, or are we going to run the other way and maybe save our save ourselves some embarrassment, save ourselves some trouble, but at the same time deny Jesus. He's saying, guys, if it, if it, you know what? It may be necessary that, that in order to proclaim the gospel, in order to be a light in this dark city, you're going to have to put up with some things. But he says this. He says, you've been distressed by various trials, but you're greatly rejoicing. What am I greatly rejoicing in? Well, he goes on to tell you that the proof of your faith, do you notice that I know some translations say testing of your faith. But proof of your faith is actually a closer, a closer rendition of the original language. Because testing sounds like it could turn out either way, right? But if you look at this in the original language, he's saying it's the proving of your faith. It's the proof of your faith. Simp- like, like when uh, uh, it, God says in, in the book of Malachi, he says, test me now in this and see if I won't open the windows of heaven. It could better be translated, prove me now in this, right? Because God, there's not a chance God's not going to come through. When he says, hey, just see, just test me. He's not saying "I I might pass, I might fail. He's saying, prove it. Prove what I'm saying to you. You just watch what I'll do. So here he's saying the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Some of these guys had gold taken from them. But he's saying there's something that you have that they can't touch. The proof of your faith, which is more precious than gold, which is perishable. Even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. This is, a, this is a huge point. And I love how he puts it here. He says, though you haven't seen him. And at times like that, I imagine in times where things got a bit rough and, and your city wasn't treating you all too well and the church wasn't popular, I imagine it would have been nice to see Jesus walk in the door. It would have been nice to have something to hold on to. The Israelites made that mistake all over, didn't they? All throughout the Old Testament, they, they gave up a real living God for something they could touch. We've talked about it before, how God mocks them. You think that God doesn't have a bit of a sharp sense of humor. Sometimes he does. God makes some jokes about it. He says, you guys realize... You go out into the woods, you chop down a tree. Half of it you use to bake some bread, make a fire, keep yourself warm. The other half you carve into an idol and you say, save me. He says, how stupid is that? God's having a little fun at their expense saying, it's ridiculous, guys. And yet you give up the glory of an eternal God for something you can touch. Because sometimes as human beings, that's what we want. We we, we feel secure when we can see it. You remember Elisha on top of, the, on top of the, 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 the city walls as he sees an army surrounding him to come, and, to come and capture one old man. They send an army. And his servants freaking out saying, I could have got a job at Starbucks. This would have been a lot easier. I applied with you and I thought this would be a good gig, but this is terrible. And Elisha says to him, he says, hey, chill out, man. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm... That's Jonathan's translation. I don't think it says chill out, man, unless you have, like, the message or something. But he says, he, he prays to God. Elisha prays to God. Now, what's interesting here is Elisha didn't ask that God open Elisha's eyes. Because Elisha already had faith in his God. But God is a merciful God. And you know what? Sometimes when you're a baby, he treats you like a baby. And he'll be merciful and show you, you know, hey, you need to see something? I'll let you see something. But as Jesus said, how much better is it if you believe and you don't see? Anyways, Elisha prays to God. God, open his eyes that he might see. And when he prays this, all of a sudden Elisha's servant looks around and he sees the hosts of heaven. He sees the armies of heaven surrounding the city. And he says, behold, there are more with us than there are against us. Just think about that for a minute. Think about the Reality of of the fact that at any given time, that's the case. God is way bigger. He's more mighty. There are more for you than there are against you, but we are constantly needing reassurance because we need to see something. You remember when the Israelites got freaked out because Moses went up on the mountain? So they didn't have a leader they could see, and they didn't have a God they could see. Even though God had been with them with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud of smoke by day. Still, they can't see God. So what do they do? They say, we're going to make ourselves an idol like they had back in Egypt. They gather all that gold and all that jewelry that they had collected from the Egyptians that was supposed to be for building the tabernacle. And they melt it down and they build this giant golden calf. And when Moses comes down and freaks out, Aaron treats him like, I mean, Aaron gives the excuse about at par with what my three-year-old would give. And it says, we threw it in the fire, and that's what jumped out. Because because Moses is an idiot, apparently, right? We just threw some gold in the fire, and a calf jumped out. It's weird how that happens. (laughs) You can't blame us. But it, it demonstrated something. It demonstrated our need to see something. And you know, there are times where things are nice and simple and easy. And you're saying, well, all right, I trust that God is here. But there are moments where your faith is tested, where where it seems like there are things coming against you that you haven't expected. And at those moments, it's so tempting to want to grab onto something you can see, but it isn't what you see that's going to save you. It's what you can't see. He says, your faith is worth more than gold. And you know how gold is refined by fire? He says, your faith, even though it goes through the fire, will be proven that when it gets through the other side of this, it won't be hurt. It won't be damaged. You won't be, you won't be any less of a believer when you come through this. He says, in fact, it'll prove that your faith was real. It'll prove something. I want you to know that so many times we treat faith, we treat our faith in God as if it's something we came up with, Right? It's something I decided to do. And you did have a part to play. You had to believe, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Jesus said, Have faith in God. It is a choice to have faith. But that faith doesn't come from you. The Bible says we've each been given a measure of faith, faith comes from Him. Faith is a gift of God. You can't just have it. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. There's something that happens when the word of God is implanted in your heart. You hear it and you receive it. There's faith that comes. He says that faith you have in God. It's not yours. It's not just your belief system. It's not a crutch. It's not something that you came up with to help yourself cope through things. It is something that God gave you. It's a connection to him. And he says, don't you worry. No matter what they do, the fire can't destroy the faith. And that is a great not only comfort but encouragement. You got to think about this. These guys need to hear something. It's been rough. It's been hard. And yet he says, in this you greatly rejoice. He talks about this joy inexpressible and full of glory. You ever experienced joy inexpressible? You know what I'm talking about? You know what he's talking about? When, when there's joy that you are experiencing that you can't explain why you have it. And you really haven't, you can't even find a proper avenue. You might be able to sing, you might be able to shout, you might be able to dance, but even at that, you're feeling like you're not expressing what's on the inside of you. Have you ever had somebody ask you why you have that joy? And you kind of like, blah, 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 blah. you kind of blubber at them for a bit and say, well, I mean, I kind of, all you can say is just Jesus which is the standard children's church answer for everything. If you ask any question to those kids downstairs, there's always one kid that doesn't know anything. There's always one kid that is grossly unprepared for every question. But they know this, Jesus. So you say, who is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Ah, uh, I know Jesus. I know the devil. The devil. Right. You're right. Okay. Who is who's the guy that built the ark? Uh not the devil, Jesus. All right. Well, you're close enough. I know I get in those moments sometimes where you have this joy where your family thinks you shouldn't have joy. We're talking about your unsaved family. Your coworkers think, why in the world do you have joy right now? And in your explanation, you might not be able to give them an answer that satisfies them. (laughs) You don't give them an answer that makes sense. But you say this, There's something in me that I can't describe, but it's the joy of the Lord. And even in the middle of all this junk, I'm rejoicing in something that's bigger than all this junk. He says this, the proof of your faith. He says gold is perishable. Your faith is not. Why? Because your faith came from the word of God. And the word of God, he says, the word of God, though, though the earth fades away, though everything else of flesh fades away, the word of the Lord abides forever. Your faith is anchored to something that can't go away. And I want to read a story. Let's, let's read this together in Luke chapter 22, speaking of Peter. This is all familiar to, to most believers This conversation that Jesus has with Peter, once again, not the pep talk you'd expect. Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me. He lays it out quite frankly, and and Peter wants to deny it. and Peter wants to say, no, Lord, I'd I'd never fail you. I'd never leave you. But Peter is at that point relying on something that we're all prone to rely on, which is his own strength, his own love for the Lord. His own ability to stay faithful. His own loyalty. All of those things, when they're just coming from you, they may be great, they may be noble, but they fail. We all, we all, all have come short of the glory of God. We have all realized that there is a limit. We can't do it. Without him, we can do nothing. Peter, at this point, is very confident in himself. I know he's confident in Jesus, but he's also very confident in Peter. Lord, I'd never leave you. I'm, I'm, I'm not like these Weasley tax collectors, like Matthew over here. I didn't mean to name his name out loud, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm one of the, I'm one of the fishermen. We, we, don't, we don't run so easy. We're tough. We're, we're loyal. We come from Galilee. We, Galilee, it's thick, man. We, we come from our homes and we stick up for family. But all that isn't enough. And Jesus tells him, you know what, Peter? I'm going to go ahead and tell you. He's going to go ahead and tell him uh, exactly what he's going to do. And he's going to prepare him uh, for something that Peter doesn't want to admit. He says this in verse 28, Luke 22:28. 28. You are those who have stood with me beside me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you might eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and that you, when once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Your first him here, I mean, for a long time he's been calling him Peter. At this point he goes back to Simon, and I don't know if it's very, it's likely he might be just saying that because it's a, it's, this is an affectionate moment. Or it might be that he's referring to the human side of Peter, you know? Jesus said, you know, on this rock, I'll build my church, you know? And he, he gave him this name. In his strength, you're going to be like a rock. But Simon's name originally, Shimon, means reed. You Think about the difference between a reed and a rock. It's dramatic, right? One breaks, the other one doesn't. So easy. And so he goes back and he says, Simon, Simon... Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, why would someone sift wheat? You sift wheat to separate the chaff from the wheat so that the real stuff remains and the fake stuff goes, right? The, the stuff that's not worth anything goes away. And so, in reality, I don't think, Satan is not, <laughs> Satan has no desire to make Peter a better believer. This is not Satan saying, you know what? God, I just want to, um, I just want to bless Peter. And I think it would be a blessing if I could just, you know, re- remove the rough edges. I, if I could just, you know, no. what Satan desires. Satan wants to prove something. He wants to prove. Watch, if I sift them, nothing's left. Without you, they can't do anything. Once we strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. I can destroy Peter. And all this faith you've been talking about, all these wonderful things. And once you go away, it all goes away. Watch this. Watch what I can do with Peter. But Jesus says this, and this is the core of it. He says, I've prayed for you. He doesn't say, Peter, I know that you'll be strong enough in the end. He doesn't say, Peter, someday you'll come back to me. He says, Peter, I've prayed for you. That's the difference. I've prayed for you. What did he pray? What did Jesus pray? That your faith may not fail. I find that interesting. Jesus doesn't pray, Peter, that your willpower wouldn't fail. He says, I, I don't. I'm not praying, Peter, that you just be bolder than you are right now. The one thing Jesus prayed for Peter is that his faith would not fail. But see, what's being tested here is not Peter's willpower; that will fail him. What's being tested here is not Peter's loyalty; that will fail him. What's being tested here is not Peter's boldness; that will fail him. What's being tested? is his faith in Jesus. What's being tested is that connection. Are you a real disciple, Peter? Or has this all been a show? Are you, are you for real? Is this faith a real thing or is this fake? Of course, Jesus knew this is, this is not something Peter did. Peter was chosen. And Peter wasn't just going to walk away. Peter wasn't just going to disappear. Jesus was confident Do you notice when he says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail? And when you return, strengthen your brothers. Jesus has no doubt that Peter's going to turn back. There's not a point where he says, if you return. Peter, if someday you come back to me, he says, when you come back, you're going to be the one that strengthens all these other guys. In the original language, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you and that you is plural. If my mom were here, she's originally from the South, she'd say, Satan has de- desired permission to sift y'all. Yeah, more than one person. Satan was not just testing Peter, he was testing them all. Satan, in his arrogance and in his chaos, I'm sure he thought, watch this, I'll cause them all to fail. Once the shepherd leaves, they'll all scatter and I'll cause them all to fail. But Jesus said, I've prayed for you. And so even though it says Satan has desired to sift you, and that you is plural, when he says, I've prayed for you, it's singular. Jesus was speaking directly to Peter. I've prayed for you. And when you've turned, you encourage your brothers. And at this moment, you see what's really valuable. What's being tested is not even Peter. What's being tested is his faith. And what's going to be proven at the end of the day is that his faith is worth more than gold because gold is perishable. But the faith that God put inside of you, it's not perishable. It's not corruptible. It will keep you through even the toughest of times. That knowing that God is able, that knowing that God is your deliverer, that knowing that he is your rescuer, that knowing that salvation is ahead of you, not simply behind you. And that is the phrase that pops up in our spirit all the time, isn't it? God is able. Even in the midst of the the weirdest day, even in the midst of the toughest day, you say, no, 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 no. My faith, oh, this may fail and this person fails and this car may fail, but my faith in him does not fail because I know that though the world will crumble and though the mountains should fall into the sea, his word remains the same. And it will never fail. And God has never once, never once broken his word to anybody. Never broken his covenant. And he's certainly not going to start with you because the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. Have you ever just really let that sink on the inside of you? It is impossible for God to lie. We think we're being so spiritual, giving God reasons and excuses to break his word. Do you think you're doing him any favors, giving him a loophole? Do you think he needs you to give him a loophole? I'll tell you what. What I believe about God is that he's so powerful, he never has to break his word. He never will break his covenant with his people. So that faith in him and in his ability, when your ability fails, his does not. Jesus says, I pray that your faith would not fail you. Because in the end, that's what's being tested, but that's what's going to be proven to be real when Peter writes this letter to the church, he's writing from experience. He's writing not only from the Holy Spirit, but he's writing from his own life. And he's saying, guys, I'll tell you something. There is something inside of you that is worth more than anything they can take. And that is your faith. We, we pride ourselves in being strong. We pride ourselves in being macho. I, I think I've told you this. Some of you have heard me speak of this before. And it doesn't make me look good, but, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I just, I knew I, I, knew I was going to go to other countries and preach. I knew, there was, I knew I was going to go to places where, where it was illegal. I knew it, I was going to go to places where it was tough. And I wanted to be prepared because I thought, you know, what if I'm ever in that position where they try to make me deny Jesus? I'm, I'll never deny him. And so I, like Peter, began to say, I'll never deny him. I'm strong enough. Even as like a six-year-old, a seven-year-old. So I took a pair of pliers and I took my finger. And I'm not a masochist. I don't like pain. I'm not weird like that. Don't be weird. Don't get creeped out. I don't like pain. I don't enjoy it. But I wanted to see how much I could take. Got to build up my pain tolerance, right? Oh, this hurts so bad. I'll never deny him. And I grew in the Lord a little bit more and realized that was stupid. I thought my strength will save me. Come on, guys. I was a kid when all the Rapture movies came out. You remember the, the Mark IV movies? I don't know if some of you are just newly born again and you've been spared, but there was a period of time where all the church ever was able to ever, if Christians made movies, it was about the rapture. Not even about the rapture, about after the rapture. The, the, Christ, the movies Christians like to make were the ones where we were all gone for some reason. So, um, <laughs> We had a video library back here in the church, and I'll just tell you The pastors were not aware of all the videos in the library. Some some had been stalked by other people, okay? So they were all Christian, but some were not all age appropriate. My sister and I were very, very young, and um, mom and dad were working at the church, and we had a big screen projector downstairs, which was amazing. So we just, you know, it was summer, and we'd come with them to the church so that they could get some work done and we could just do whatever. So we went to the church, church video library and, and grabbed a, a stack of, of Christian movies, and the first one we put on, I remember my sister was just just little, and we put on this movie, and the opening scene is a guillotine with a lady's head about to be dislocated from her body, and we're just sitting there with our mouths open and our eyes wide. My poor, my little sister, I don't know if she ever lived it down, she's just sitting there going like... This isn't, you know, this isn't veggie tales. This is, this is another level. That's the opening scene. That's not like they don't build up to that. Not like a little bit, of, a little bit of roughing you up and then this. This is the opening sequence. We were not prepared for this. So I had it in my head. Well, what, what if, what if? Because I, you know, I had been at school. My first day at school was in kindergarten. I came home crying because nobody got saved. Right? So my second day, when my parents asked, Well, what'd you tell them? I told them they're all going to hell. And they said, Well, <laughs> you might need to adjust what you're saying. Maybe tell them the good news too, right? You know? <laughs> oh, right, okay. Second day, five kids. Thank God, five kids. I was pretty pumped about that. But already I began to experience what it was like for somebody to not appreciate your belief and, and some people to actively oppose it. And it, I had this desire in me to please God, but I, already, I also had a desire to be liked. And so there was this question in my mind, gee, man, what if I'm like that lady and they're going to kill me if I didn't, don't deny Jesus? What, what if I don't pass the test? And there were songs written about it, you know, would we pass the test? And I'm thinking, I don't know. <laughs> So I tried to ensure that I would pass the test. I put myself through torture to try to figure it out. At the end of the day, I figured this out. And I wish I had realized this earlier. What I realized was, it's not me that's going to make me pass that test. Because what's being tested isn't me. What's being tested is my faith. And my faith isn't something I came up with. It was given to me. And I believe in that moment now, we live in North America. Most of us will never have to face that extreme of a test. But I, want, I, I just honestly believe this. You can have a different belief, but I believe this. I believe that many of us, if we, ever, if we ever came to that situation, we'd find something rise up in us that we didn't know was there. There'd be something, strength, courage, that you didn't know you had because you didn't, that comes from God himself, and that faith would save you. And at that moment, you'd say, "How you might be like that great man of God who was burned for his faith many, many years ago, and he says, how can I deny him? He's, he's never failed me all these years, and now I'm an old man. How can I deny him now? This is not, uh, it's not a run around the church kind of message, is it? But I do believe, and I, I, I'm not trying to pump you up for persecution by any means, but I do believe that we're each faced this is the extreme example, but we're, we're each faced with things every day in life where we are, are at that point where we think we're being tested. We think will I be strong enough? Will I be brave enough? Will I be bold enough? And maybe for you it's not somebody threatening to kill you, but it might be a similar situation to what Peter went through where somebody says, do you know him or do you associate with those people? or What is it that you believe in fact? And there's that temptation to back off and, and you know just kind of give a vague answer and run away. At these moments where it's unpopular to believe in Jesus, it's unpopular to stand up for what you really believe, even if you're doing it in love. Can I just assure you with this? It's not you that has to be strong enough. It's not you that has to pass a test. It's your faith. And Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. He tells these guys, don't worry. I know you're going through some stuff right now, but it's only temporary. That faith that you have inside of you is not temporary. It's eternal. Your trust in God, because at that moment, Peter had all this to say about his love for God and his loyalty, and I'd never deny you, But do you know what he learned to say? He moved past that that phase where he said, Lord, I love you. I'd never do it. Lord, I'd do anything for you. He was boasting in his own love for Christ. He was boasting in his own ability. But he got to the point where he stopped boasting in Peter's ability and Peter's love. And he began to boast in the love of Jesus. He began to boast in God's ability. And he began to believe that it wasn't Peter that was gonna save Peter. It was Jesus that was gonna save Peter. And when he writes this letter, I believe wholeheartedly that he's not just saying, in this you greatly rejoice, and he's just hoping they get the hint. I believe they greatly were rejoicing. If somebody finally told them, whatever you're going through is so temporary and so small compared to what God has for you. And you think, you might think, what if, what if? I got to the point where I denied him. What if I got to the point where I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I just couldn't keep going? He says, God is preserving you for salvation to come. He's protecting, he's keeping you. And I want us to, to, to fully believe that. There's a word that's used there when he says protect. It's the same word uh, that is translated in Philippians 4 as guard. When it says the peace of Christ would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. It's the same word that they use when an army surrounded the city to keep Paul in. It's a garrison. It's a guard set around you. I want you to know that there is a guard around your soul. God God is keeping something in you that can't be damaged, and that is that faith in him. And I want you to rely on that more than you rely on yourself. We're so... So quick to say, I'm strong enough for this. I'm big enough for this. I'm bold enough for this. I'm talented enough for this. But forget all that. Let's say God is big enough for this. Stop saying, I think I'm able to do this. And start saying, I know God is able to do this. Stop saying, will I pass the test? Forget you. Will he pass the test? The answer is always yes. So the question isn't, can I do it? The question is, can I have faith in him to do it? because he never fails, amen? Some of you might look at this, and I know we, sometimes I look at the Bible and go, I'm not going through anything compared to these guys, but the same message that they need to hear in the midst of great persecution is the same message you need to hear even in mild persecution. I mean, sometimes it's so easy for us to belittle what we're going through because we're saying, well, look at the people in Syria, what they're dealing with. Look at the people in Iraq, what they're dealing with. I know, I agree. But whatever you're facing right now, even that mild bit of opposition, it requires the exact same recipe. Have faith in God. He is able. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up together. God, we give you praise and glory. We know that you are able. We know that we couldn't save ourselves. We have no ability to keep our souls. We We couldn't do it on our own, but thank God we don't have to do it on our own. Without you, we are nothing, but thank God, we are not without you. You will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, you said if we denied you, that even if, even if we were faithless, you remain faithful. For you, for you cannot deny yourself. That is so huge. Because I know I've been faithless at times. There have been times where I've broken my side of the deal, and you remain. You didn't give up on me, and you didn't give up on my friends here. So, Lord, we have come to know and believe the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus for us. We grab onto it. We set, we, Lord, we, we're choosing to believe that you are greater. We're choosing to believe that you are able. We're choosing to believe that you are more, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Lord, as we put our hope in you and our trust in you, I know that our faith will pass the test. Because our faith, it doesn't come from us, it comes from you. So Lord, just as the disciples prayed, would you strengthen our faith? Lord, strengthen it so that we don't, aren't so quick to rely on us, we're quick to rely on you. That we would be confident in our God, that we would be trusting in our Lord, that we would say, greater, he is able. I'm not, but he is. And he's within me. And I might not be able to do anything on my own, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.